and welcome to Deep Dive, brought to you by NATO's Defense Education Enhancement Program. I'm your host, Dr. Sajan Gohel. Each episode, we speak to experts and practitioners in international security and defense, counterterrorism, and geopolitical current events to gain insight into the most pressing matters of global affairs. In this episode, we speak to Asanga Abeaguna Sakara, who is the Strategic Advisor on Geopolitics and International Security at the Millennium Project in Washington, D.C. Asanga is the author of several books, including Sri Lanka at Crossroads, Geopolitical Challenges and National Interests, as well as Conundrum of an Island. Asanga Abeaguna Sakara, thank you for joining us on NATO Deep Dive. Thank you for having me. Let me paint the scene, if I may. Sri Lanka is a beautiful island nation off the coast of India. It's been very welcoming to tourists. When Hollywood needs a forest, it films there. Iconic movies like The Bridge on the River Kwai, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I believe one of the Jungle Book movies also uh, was filmed there. Sri Lanka is not often in the news for bad things in the past. Although there had been that long battle against the Tamil Tigers in the Civil War, There was also the devastating 2004 tsunami. Yet with the Tamil Tiger insurgency defeated, uh, Sri Lanka began to look like a success story by the standards of the region. Just a few years ago, it had been elevated from a lower middle-class income country to an upper middle-class income country by the World Bank. Its GDP per capita was about the same as countries in Eastern Europe, such as Ukraine and Moldova, and only just slightly behind Brazil. It was a thriving tourist destination and was the success story of South Asia. Yet now we're looking at a country with runaway foreign debt, skyrocketing costs of foreign imports, a collapsing currency, falling exports, shortages of food, fuel, and medicines. Where did this go wrong? Did this country sleepwalk into disaster? Um, Well, I think uh, to answer your question, uh, Yes, uh, Sri Lanka was seen as um, is one of the more, it's a trading hub from the ancient history. It's been, uh, um, the word serendipity uh, comes from Sri Lanka because of this, the island was called Serendip uh, one time. So it's a geostrategic hotspot in the Indian Ocean um, sea lines, sitting at the sea lines of communication from the east-west sea lines of communication. The problem um, emerged um, due to um, multiple factors. Gotabaya's um, Rajapaksa's regime's inward policy prescription, uh, irrational uh, prescription, uh, was the main cause for the problem. The, uh, the, I would say there were other factors also which she inherited from the previous regimes, uh, which is the, uh, the debt uh, uh, the large amount of borrowings, um, I would say, those borrowings were uh, mainly from China, um, as well as uh, sovereign uh, bonds, as well as um, many other uh, countries also. But Chinese uh, percentage of borrowings, as well as uh, the investment that was made uh, on strategic projects, did not have any return or uh, minimum return. So um, I've sort of studied um, the Chinese BRI projects uh, in Sri Lanka, as well as, uh, you know, um, 
the the larger sort of footprint um, the rajapaksas were welcoming uh, the chinese footprint the growing uh, footprint in uh, sri lanka became a concern um, to the foreign policy which sri lanka had a very balanced foreign policy um, from its past uh, non aligned and we call it balanced now mahinda rajapaksa uh, who was the gotabe rajapaksa's brother who was the president from 2005 to 15 um ended a war like as you mentioned uh, a three decade civil war in 2009 um there were many um issues uh, structural changes that was made to the sri lankan constitution by the rajapaksa bringing power to the executive presidency first initially by his brother and then followed by gotabe rajapaksa from an amendment uh, Uh, which he made soon after he became president uh, moving power from the legislature to the executive uh, removing checks and balances the independent institutions uh, such as the bribery commission such as the police commission was taken under him uh, he altered the model uh, i would say much more than his brother did mahinda by inviting uh, 27 uh, military officers into civil uh, po- civil positions including the foreign secretary of sri lanka who was the military uh, that i think uh, created one of the biggest uh, concerns uh, because the first time the the role of military the civil military balance we had was disturbed and for example uh archaeology department um uh i mean the military was uh, again a military appointment was there in in the archaeology uh poverty alleviation um on agriculture to grow vegetables so it was a uh it was something very uh, new uh, for the sri lankans uh and also the regime was very uh, unique because it was a sibling regime president as um, you know um, as well as the prime minister who was his brother um, which was mahinda rajapaksa the former uh, president so i think uh, followed by many others i mean he expanded his uh, family uh, the finance minister was his brother another brother uh, another was uh, in charge of the telecommunications youth um uh, his uh, mahinda's son was uh, uh, was involved in that and then not not only the brothers but also their their uh, their children also so it's a it was a family rule uh, controlling all the main key ministries which had internal issues where their senior minister step starts uh, you know questioning uh, the autocracy that uh, gotabe built and uh, resigning one after the other and uh, the corruption issues the charges that was made by the attorney general for example uh, or you know a, a massive uh, you know the, the, there was a uh, there was charges on a floating armory issue uh, which was uh, which more than 1000 uh, indictment charges was uh, raised by the attorney general was uh, dropped by uh, gotabe so the interference with the judiciary uh, was another 
uh, area, I think, which I saw in 2021 when I wrote The Coming Anarchy to Sri Lanka because the judiciary uh, managed to keep, you know, at least some sort of uh, the democracy moving forward, some sort of sensibility in the, in the you know, r- rational judgments was given. But when the executive started interfering with the judiciary, uh, such as um, my writing in 2021, June, on the coming anarchy, I, I highlighted the president, um, you know, uh, pardoning a political criminal who was in uh, sentence by the judiciary and he, he, pardoned, he gave a presidential pardon to him. So what I mentioned was I keep on interfering with the judiciary like this, you lose the credibility and the integrity of the whole of the institutions and the bureaucracy especially, and you will you are moving the country toward an anarchic uh, situation, uh, which happened uh, exactly within a year of, I mean, July 9th was where the people came out and protested. So not only the economic issues, economic issues are considerable, but then political uh, issues were also uh, a serious concern because all the protesters are saying we want a change in the political culture. Uh, we want to end uh, nepotism. We want to end corruption. Uh, so it is a political culture that uh, cultural change that the protesters are uh, requesting. Apart from the you know the hardship that they're going uh, four days in standing for fuel. Uh, the uh, highest uh, inflation rate uh, in the world after Zimbabwe, the second highest is in Sri Lanka. The daily wages, uh, there are many uh, Sri Lankans, the larger percentage of Sri Lankans are daily wage earners. So they've been affected uh, as well as their income um, uh, have been affected. The the schools have been closed. government sector is completely dysfunctional. Um, So it's a complete dysfunctionality, I would say. Well, you very, um, in much detail, uh, unpacked a lot of the problems that the Rajapaksa dynasty had created and mentioned very rightly that it was not just the economic, but it was the military, it was the judiciary, that there was a strong dynamic of nepotism and We've seen that dynastic Rajapaksa rule come to an end. Uh, Gotabaya Rajapaksa has resigned uh, whilst abroad, fleeing to uh, the Maldives initially. Uh, and he was the sixth, sorry, he was the eighth president of uh, Sri Lanka. And his brother, Mahinda Rajapaksa, whom you we were also talking about, was uh, the sixth president. It's not that dynastic politics is specifically only for Sri Lanka. It's quite common across South Asia and many other parts of the world. But could we say that this uh, pivotal moment now in Sri Lanka signifies the end of uh, dynastic politics or are there other potential ruling families uh, in the past that may see an opportunity to take advantage of the situation? I I can't call it an end uh, because of the the South Asian context, when you look at it um, culturally, as well as when you look at how South Asia, I mean, South Asia is a very unique uh, region. I captured in my book, Conundrum of an Island, uh, where security sensitivity is a serious issue. Uh, I found that 
there was an article which I wrote called Bombs and Elections, uh, which I found South Asia is very unique to rest of the any of the uh, regions of the world, where within a week or two you have bombs, or within a month you have a bomb. Then the whole political, uh, you know, the campaigns uh, sort of uh, redirect towards uh, an authoritarian ruler or a family ruler. Uh, who wants to establish so what happened in sri lanka was is is exactly the same because 6.9 million votes which gotabaya got they got two thirds of the parliament majority so in 2019 uh, was following the easter sunday bomb attack uh, which was um, uh, which you know killed 250 people in sri lanka so his campaign was launched one week after the Easter Sunday bomb attack. So basically the campaign was to guarantee security that when he comes, there won't be any mistakes like this. And, you know, highlighting uh, the issues that uh, the previous government had on the security concern, because he was the former uh, defense secretary, the ideal candidate for the situation. And then, um, yeah, he, man he managed to win the Sinhalese Buddhist majority, uh, which is a larger uh, percentage now who's protesting, to, who was protesting as well as who got rid of him uh, together with the minority community. So what, uh, so South Asia has that uniqueness um, on the, the fragile security uh, situation. And, Fragile states can be uh, used for, you know, to breed terrorism, uh, as well as, you know, certain clusters of terrorism. Now, the Easter Sunday, if you trace back, there was clusters in India, there was clusters, you know. So we found uh, many security uh, lapses. And then intelligence sharing was a serious issue. The intelligence that was shared by India to Sri Lanka, multiple warnings before, prior to the attack was not shared with the United States. So a mechanism like Quad and a mechanism like, you know, security sharing mechanisms from the Quad, which I have seen, uh, you know, that has materialized, are, I would say positive, uh, you know, positive sort of trends towards, you know, uh, uh, curbing the terrorist threat in South Asia. So I think the multi-pronged approach is what is required. The regionalism is, is lacking in South Asia. Um, although we have mini laterals like Maldives, Sri Lanka and India on intelligence sharing, which was signed after 10 years of negotiations. Um, those, are, those are achievements, but then you need sort of a wider regional approach on, on these security uh, concerns. But, Gotabe Rajapaksa uh, did a lot of, uh, you know, policy blunders as well as, uh, you know, disturbing countries. Uh, if you look at, um, I can give a good example, the Easter Sunday report on the presidential report. He uh, basically, the report mentions that the Indian intelligence that was shared was just information only. They are not intelligence. That is absolutely, you know, wrong because they were intelligence uh, and they managed to even, uh, you know, mention on the day of the attack. Uh, so they were accurate in uh, intelligence. So there was a kind of a, 
uh, you know, distrust between nations like India, uh, that was, you know, which the Rajapaksa usually have a tendency uh, of tilting towards China, which happened uh, in Gotabi Rajapaksa regime. And um, our foreign policy was even tilted so much that uh, the foreign secretary spoke of the human rights violations uh, of another country, which is China, on Xinjiang, saying that there is no human rights violation in Xinjiang. Sri Lanka has never taken such positions uh, in the past. So the, the, the reasoning of that is because recipro reciprocally, they were uh, uh, expecting China to defend Sri Lanka's um, uh, human rights concerns in Geneva. So I think the, the, the loss of the foreign policy till, um, as well as, uh, you know, we lost many projects uh, such as the U.S. Millennium Challenge Corporation uh, Fund of a grant of 480 million. Gotabia's presidential, uh, he again had a commission for that to evaluate the MCC uh, grants. So the report came out saying that uh, it's a, there is a national security threat from the grant. Uh, these are all illogical, irrational uh, decisions uh, what he uh, took. So I think uh, the right now, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a tendency. Uh, I mean, you would have um, uh, all these uh, issues that he, uh, you know, the policy blunders um, were, pa were part of his, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, he lost his position because of all, the, all this. Interestingly, you've spoken about uh, the Quad, which is this alliance with the United States, Japan, India, and Australia. Sri Lanka, as you mentioned, is a very important country geostrategically, and it's seems to have uh, moved uh, from various different positions when it comes to its relationship with, say, Quad nations and then its relationship with uh, China. Where do you see Sri Lanka pivoting itself in the future now that the Rajapaksa regime is over? Will it try and keep a neutral uh, position or do you think its future is perhaps aligned with one particular group or nation? Sri Lanka needs to immediately recalibrate its foreign policy towards the balanced foreign policy we had. And that is that should be number one of the interim regime. Now, after the president leaves uh, uh, the country, basically, and he leaves his position now, um, the acting, pre acting president, uh, basically, as well as the prime minister. Now, you should understand this is the fourth cabinet we'll be having in three months. Uh, so the dysfunctionality is very clear. Uh, and this is the first time a Sri Lankan president has escaped from a military flight and given resignation to the Sri Lankan embassy in another country. So the, the situation is that the recalibration is really important because we have uh, you know, lost trust with a lot of uh, our friendly countries uh, by, you know, you know, coming up with this, uh, what I mentioned earlier, you know, um, the policy decisions that they took. So, uh, I can give you an example on Japan, uh, Japan's um, uh, 
the LRT projects, uh, as well as the Japan's uh, East Container Terminal project, Japan and India, the tripartite agreement. So Rajapaksa cancelled both of them. Uh, so ECT, again, they saw it as a, uh, they, all of these decisions, he tried to uh, weaponize it to his own political gain, which is the ultra-nationalist you know, sentiment, which he was propagating. So he tried to sort of uh, weaponize it, but then the foreign policy tilt was lost. So the immediate uh, recalibration of the foreign policy towards a balanced foreign policy is required. Some of the agreements we have signed, uh, I would say, pretty much harmful for the country. I mean, the 99-year lease agreement, uh, I have seen this agreement um, because I had, uh, I had access to it as the Director General. I have seen multiple uh, agreements in Sri Lanka, which has serious, uh, I would say, long-term uh, implications because uh, I call it more than a debt trap in Sri Lanka, a strategic trap. There are three reasons I call a strategic trap from China. Uh, first is the China's Communist Party's involvement with the Rajapaksa political party, the CPC, as well as the SLPP. Uh, now about that particular uh, point and the funding to the political party. So uh, I have elaborated on one of my papers and which will be publi published by uh, CSEP uh, very soon on that particular area, which I have studied. The, the second is uh, basically uh, on the interference on the human rights uh, issue, the reciprocal arrangements and the, the human rights uh, concern, which I discussed between China and Sri Lanka, again, moving the country towards a dangerous uh, tilt. The third is the military uh, to military agreements, uh, which is very concerning. Uh, one of the issues is, for example, the, the telecommunications network is 80% or more that is owned by China, is run by, operated by China. So the surveillance for law enforcement, uh, as well as um, uh, intelligence. So there, there is a concern uh, which uh, military to military basically agreements, because Sri Lanka is uh, is a... Is, is an island is sitting at the geostrategic hotspots, the Indian Ocean, the Indian Ocean security, uh, which we have played uh, earlier, you know, for a rules-based order. We have always contributed as a nation to a rules-based international order. Law of the Sea, for example, Sri Lanka's immense con uh, contribution in the 1970s and on. So you see um, uh, contribution towards uh, democratic values and the alteration of the democratic um, model uh, was happening during Gotabe Rajapaksa's regime with the military as well as with the external uh, interference. So you need an immediate recalibration uh, of the foreign policy and to support a rules-based order in the Indian Ocean as well as to support the neighboring country, uh, India's uh, neighborhood first as well as the, uh, the security and growth uh, sagar, the uh, program of uh, Prime Minister Modi, which is, uh, which all the other nations are also supporting. So here's a nation kind of sandwiched between the BRI and the Indo-Pacific. But uh, if you look at the, it's important 
okay, BRI, we are part of it, but then we need to have a sort of a toolkit to um, have the BRI projects more transparent, uh, as well as, uh, I mean, those agreements should be made available to the general public. The protesters are asking for them, said, uh, no, we don't even know what's going on in this country because a group of elites are controlling um, the signing we signed an agreement on a Sunday um, a weekend. We don't sign agreements on a 99 years. So we did that also. So uh, you could see that all these malpractices and all that happened. A, men, uh, a constitutional, uh, I mean, we did a change uh, to our constitution again without any consultation of the general public. So the public and the protesters asking for consultation, accountability. Now the, now the president has uh, run away again. Is that they're asking for accountability. Um, I think the democratic nations uh, should support Sri Lanka at this moment. There is a huge role for the international community to play. I mean, I know that US is giving technical assistance for uh, institutions, but then what the uh, British parliamentarian, uh, 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 he raised uh, Ed Devi, uh, of the, he's the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party. Very interesting. He said Sri Lanka requires two packages. One is the economic package, which is from the IMF, all that. But then the political package. What I want to highlight is what he what he mentioned from the political package was accountability. So people are asking for the looted money, the corruption charges, all that. So Ed Davey mentioned that why don't we have why don't we even discuss talk about an international arrest warrant? I mean. It, it is uh, obviously that that's what the democratic leaders should be talking about right now. And, uh, you know, if they have looted the money, there's the corruption charges, they should investigate. So the democracies and even President Biden did not invite Sri Lanka for the democratic summit uh, because of the serious concerns of uh, what's going on to the democratic fabric, as well as what Rajapaksa how Rajapaksa was interfering and uh, creating this autocratic model. So I think the Quad in the Pacific, all these mechanisms uh, should have specific uh, roles for these countries because you need to tag them, especially we had a volatile uh, time um, because of post-COVID as well as the war in Ukraine, uh, a situation uh, where countries can uh, tilt towards autocratic, you know, bring in autocratic sentiments, as well as uh, move away from the democratic, um, you know, norms and values. So there is a huge role for the international community. Absolutely. Um, one other aspect is that uh, when there is a political vacuum and economic instability, organized crime tends to flourish. Now, even prior to the fall of the Rajapaksa regime, Sri Lanka was having to deal with the challenges of narcotics coming from Afghanistan and Pakistan by sea, especially heroin, and now increasingly methamphetamines. Uh, NATO Deep recently produced a very detailed report uh, entitled Narco Insecurity Inc., in which it showed that in many ways, Sri Lanka is one of the primary victims and targets of what is going to emanate from Afghanistan and Pakistan. Do you think that in this uh, uh, vacuum that now exists inside Sri Lanka, that there could be further challenges uh, that could be coming from both Afghanistan, Pakistan, not just in terms of terrorism, but in terms of narcotics as well? 
No, definitely. Uh, Sri Lanka, that's why I mentioned that it could be, they could use Sri Lanka as a hub for, you know, transnational security uh, concerns. I mean, it has been report. I mean, been reported so much. I mean, about the drug trafficking, um, on people smuggling, so various other uh, concerns on the Indian. I mean, uh, if you look at the Indian Ocean security, there is a role that Sri Lanka should play as sitting in the geostrategic uh, as a hotspot in the Indian Ocean. So the role is that on the maritime security. Um, they, they, they should be sort of, uh, I mean, uh, you know, Sri Lanka's, um, uh, the government of Sri Lanka should have a plan with India as well as its neighboring countries. Uh, what, how to sort of, you know, uh, tackle these issues. One particular incident was that I mentioned about the Easter Sunday terror attack. The, um, the intelligence sharing is one very important area, but then when it comes for maritime security, uh, projects such as uh, the European Union, uh, EU has in um, uh, in have, uh, what's happening in uh, Madagascar as well as in in the Western Indian Ocean can uh, come into Sri Lanka also. Uh, so the 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 this is on maritime uh, you know illegal fisheries as well as on maritime um, uh, on arms smuggling and various others. So it's very important that uh, the these measures as well as technical assistance come into Sri Lanka. And uh, it's a time that while the political system's been, you know, reset and all that, uh, while the people are asking for better political culture, more transparency, so it's very important to have these uh, mechanisms also. The, the concern is law and order, yes, crimes. Uh, I mean, this obviously will be affected because of the, uh, what's happening. I mean, Sri Lanka is almost, it became a failed state because if you, um, there's no cab, I mean, the, if you look at the, the fourth cabinet appointed, uh, so there's not functioning properly, the government is not functioning. So it, it moved from a uh, fragile state, I would say, to a crisis state. And now it's uh, almost, uh, I could call it a fail, almost as a failed state. So we need to sort of bring back that sort of normalcy uh, to the institutions quickly as possible, uh, so that it will not move into the, you know, towards a failed uh, state where uh, law and order is completely dysfunctional, and uh, that's really important. So there is a danger in here also because. The, you see, what has happened was Rajapaksa uh, appointed a prime minister and, uh, you know, during his, uh, you know, the last two months, he uh, appointed a new prime minister after he, you know, after his brother had to leave uh, for, because of the protest. So the prime minister has only um, one seat in the parliament and that's also a bonus seat which was given. It's the first time again we are having a prime minister with one seat in the parliament. But then the credibility of the political model has to be re-established. The prime minister and the president should be people who are appointed by the, pe by the people, elected by the people, not who come from bonus seats. And also those are really important because if you uh, make a sort of um, an alteration to the credibility of the model, you will have a space from the military to walk in. Uh, this is the danger that I am trying to highlight. Uh, I've been sort of uh, mentioning in my, because there is a 
uh, trend that you know it won't become like Myanmar, but a model similar to Myanmar can emerge from Sri Lanka, um, a civilian military sort of a rule. Because what I hear for the last few days is like, okay, the protesters walked into the president's house, they counted the money, gave it to the police. So it's not a, it's not a mob. They won't. I mean, if they're a mob, they will steal the money. There were incidents like uh, two guns were stolen from the military. So that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's a danger uh, in those because what they're saying is like, okay, Prime Minister's made a statement saying uh, rebels has to be sort of uh, identified from the protesters. Um, and then state of emergency was declared and then the curfew followed by curfew. So the next, I think, the couple of weeks are going to be very crucial for Sri Lanka. Very crucial indeed. And in a connected point about uh, how things are impacting on Sri Lanka, if we can pivot to the sort of the final question of our discussion, the final topic even, the Russian invasion of Ukraine meant that the world's uh, biggest grain exporters were effectively taken out of the market as well as Russian exports of fertilizer, which Sri Lanka's farmers were uh, recipients of. Coming out of the pandemic, Sri Lanka was counting on the return of tourism, which is a vital industry to the island. Uh, one problem was that the first and third largest tourism markets were, uh, for Sri Lanka were Russian and Ukrainians. Uh, Russia is also uh, a major buyer of Sri Lankan tea. The realities of the war and the sanctions on Russia have somewhat upended a lot of these uh, arrangements. Did Putin's invasion of Ukraine compound the economic problems of Sri Lanka? Um, I would say to a, I mean, the, uh, to a certain percentage, yes. Uh, I mean, it did have an impact on the consumer prices because of the rise of the fuel prices. Um, it did have an impact for the tourism industry. We had a, a large uh, Eastern European tourist uh, in the industry. That uh, got in, uh, affected from the war. Uh, Sri Lanka is one of the you know uh, main tourist uh, hotspots, and then we earn a lot from tourism. But the um, pandemic and then the Ukraine war had serious impact. Um, uh, so on the consumer prices, uh, yes, there was a uh, effect because of the oil prices, the rise of the oil prices. So yes, I would say Ukraine. Uh, the, you know, the war in Ukraine did have an impact on the con, you know daily uh, lives of, because of the uh, consumer prices and um, and the tourism industry. So those are the two things that affected um, on the fertilizer. Uh, well, this has to be clearly understood. Uh, although the organic fertilizer switch was done by Gotabaya, uh, there was Chinese shipments coming into the port. So a lot of people have not read that. They think that organic fertilizer, although he changed the to immediate switch from chemical fertilizer to organic fertilizer, was the main trigger point for the economic crisis. No, it was not the main trigger point. He made it a, a political, uh, basically um, a campaign to go on organic and you know go on e uh, e cars as well as I mean on electric cars etc. But then. While the Chinese shipment, uh, which came to the port, uh, the authorities found that was, you know, and contaminated. And it's a very interesting read uh, to understand. And when 
24 hours before Wangi came to Colombo, we had to pay for that shipment, uh, which I have uh, analyzed that. Uh, so the it's not the, you know, the he wanted to bring in organic, uh, you know, fertilizer. It's, it's, although it was a political, you know, choice he made, overnight switching did impact the entire agriculture industry. But the Russia, uh, I would say only, I would say only these two points were the main uh, concerns. We do bring in fertilizer also, but um, the mostly impact, uh, most, I mean, the biggest impact was for the, the uh, tourism industry. Interesting. And it's uh, been very uh, important to have this discussion with you on a very important country that perhaps won't necessarily get always uh, the headline attention, uh, but it just shows you what happens in Sri Lanka can have much wider ramifications. And I think it's very germane to point out that Sri Lanka is not a dictatorship, like in the case of, say, Libya, when the despot Colonel Muammar Gaddafi was violently removed from power. Uh, back in uh, 2011. Uh, Sri Lanka is a, a democratic nation with a thriving civil society movement that has very peacefully demonstrated its desire for change. And it's been um, very important what you've been saying, because it helps us to glean from the Sri Lanka case study about democracies and what could go wrong when there is economic turmoil, as well as when there is political interference uh, in terms of the military institutions and the judiciary. Um, so I have to thank you uh, for providing all this insight. Uh, Asanga Abe Agunasakara, thank you so much again for joining us on NATO Deep Dive. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been our pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dive. I'm your host, Dr. Sajan Gohel. Deep Dive is brought to you by NATO's Defense Education Enhancement Program. The production and research team are Marcus Andreopoulos and Victoria Jones. For additional content, including full transcripts of each episode, please visit deepportal.hq.nato.int forward slash deep dive. Please note that the views, information, or opinions expressed in the Deep Dive series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of NATO or DEEP.